DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The question of the morning, BYU. What would their record be at this point with the original schedule? They'd be seven games in, not five. The Utes on the road, Michigan State, ASU, Minnesota, and then a run in October of Utah State and Missouri, and now I'm blanking on the seventh team, but they would have been favorites. You mentioned Stanford? Stanford. No, Stanford's in November. They wouldn't have been to the Stanford game yet. Oh, I thought you, okay, I thought you were talking about... I thought you were talking about Power No, Rangers. I was talking literally who uh, BYU's seventh game was. I'll look it up, but it was somebody they should have beaten. Oh, it was Houston. Houston. It was Houston. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was yeah. somebody they did beat. The one game right. we can figure out. The one game that stayed on their schedule. Right. I think and they'd it be favored. would have been home. Favorite, yes, it would have been home. Uh, they'd be favored over Utah State. They, I think Missouri's defense, we've seen three Missouri games now, and they haven't held anybody under 35 points. I think BYU would score a bunch of points and beat those guys. So I think that was in Prove, right? Yep, this was yes. in Provo. Yeah, this Return was the Provo game. game. Uh, the Michigan yeah. State game was in Provo, too. Michigan State right. coming off a 7-6 and six season. That's the problem with the first four games. I think it's easy to look at the three October games and say, well, they should be 3-0 and oh in those games. Sure, that's why I just went the first but four. But the first four, that's the... And we have people tweeting at us, they'd be 3-4. 3-4? and, four. Three and four. Yep. Oh, wait. They got, a, they got an NFL quarterback who's going to win playoff games. I know. That doesn't <laughs> stop people, PK. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to win playoff games, but he's going to be an NFL quarterback. He's going to be on somebody's roster for a while. When he's in the NFL, do you think Lisa's going to get as much run? No. Why not? Parents don't get as much run in the NFL. (laughs) They they just don't. Wait, parents don't get that much run in college. Uh, Parents get run in college. They do, but not as much as Lisa's gotten. No, no, she's winning. (laughs) She's winning. I don't know what you win for that, but she's winning. I feel like I know her, and I've never met her. <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> I've met her one son uh, a few times. It'd be curious, yeah. and this will drive her nuts, if she finds that some radio stations running a poll, do BYU fans like Lisa? Why wouldn't you? Well, she's pretty clearly a youth. There's some quotes from her about not wanting oh, her son to go to BYU. that was at the time. But see, yeah, but the rivalry runs deep, PK. Yeah, but everybody would change if the circumstances were the same. Everybody. I agree with that, and I agree with that, but I don't think that that means how people feel changes. No, I think they can realize. If my kid had gone to the U of A, you better believe I would have been cheering big time. Come on. I mean, that's just the way it goes. Kirk Herbstreit's taking heat right now from Ohio State fans because he's rooting for Clemson. Well, his kids go to, is it twins, right? He's got two or is it just twin one? Twin boys who go to Clemson. Did both of them go to Clemson? Yeah, they're both there. So it doesn't matter. I mean, he's Ohio State fans are Ohio State fans are going after him on Twitter this week. Ohio State should let them walk on. Yeah. Yeah. RJ says that BYU would be 3-4 and four right now, losing the three road games, and they would lose to either Utah State or Michigan State. So, yes, there's three and fours out there, and there are more three and three fours. Three and four? Josh is a little more positive. He thinks they'd be four and three. They got a quarterback who's going to win Super Bowls. Okay, let's knock it off. <laughs> Laying it on thick here. I'm just following up with what you were saying. The kid Jay Fox says they'd be 0 and 10 right now, and then the laughing to the crying emoji. <laughs> After seven games, they'd be 0 and 10. I like it. <laughs> 
Salt Lake Jake says they'd be 25-0, and 0, and he's wearing a Ute beanie in his uh, photo on Twitter. And ranked higher than number one. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, now, Tim, who's got a BYU logo for his avatar, says they'd be 5-2. and two. Zach puts him at 5-2. and two. I think you're in the ballpark there, people. I think All you're right, in the ballpark. Sure. Well, yeah, Keegan we'll says know, either 7-0 yeah. and o or 6-1. and one. This team is vastly different than teams past, and it's frustrating that people like you can't see it. Oh, I think they're the best team in BYU history. Jeffrey says not a top 25 team. They'd be 3-4. and four. They'd have injuries. They'd have mental letdowns after big games. What we've seen from them for the last 10 years, they aren't playing varsity ball. They are now. Oh, man, I just wish we could have had a shot at the Utes. That's all I wanted. Uh, who cares what the record would have been since they would have beaten the Utes by 24? Easily. Of course, that win would fuel the team to beat all six opponents to follow and raise the media fur even higher. Instead, Hashtag go Cougars. And if the game would have been 65 minutes, they would have beat them by 25. There it is. Shades <laughs> of the Vegas Bowl. Well played. I saw that. I Five see what more you're minutes, doing. baby. Five more minutes. <laughs> All right, let's go to the phones and Rick the dishwasher. Rick? All right, my fair and balanced opinion. Oh, boy. Um, uh, BYU would lose to Utah probably. I mean, they're a good team. They've got probably five NFL players. They haven't had an NFL player on their team for four years, I don't think. (laughs) Um, But Utah's depth. BYU would get injuries with the tougher team, so they'd probably lose one of the other games, maybe ASU, I don't know. Um, but when you're your team full of white guys, you can't have speed depth. So as soon as you get injuries, there's two losses right there. And especially if it's to some of your best players, which they haven't. They've been healthy. They're a good team. I mean, Wilson will make the pros. He won't be anything. He doesn't seem to make – uh, against good talent, I think he doesn't make great decisions. But you could tell that last game, he was kind of auditioning for the pros, showing how fast he can run, butt slide and be smart, showing off arm angles. Uh, you can tell he drinks and sleeps football, but yeah. he's not necessarily next level. And one of the two receivers will be a good pro. And I like that D lineman, and I guess there's a couple good offensive linemen. But Utah. It's a no-expectation year. I bet money they win the South. <laughs> there it is. You're going to no, Wendover. No, they got they Wendover, got Wendover. Oh, they got a Rick team full of black guys, over. so sure, they can run. <laughs> well, no, they well, – Rick, they I want to save you. I want to save yeah, you. <laughs> Rick, I want to save Twitter some of the trouble here because a lot of people are going to spend a lot of energy. But you're going to say – You said, guys, you said it's like hard to have speed – it's hard to have speed depth when there's multiple injuries, and yet Dax Milne, who at best was the third best receiver, who at best was the third favorite target going into the season, just had 184 yards. Bushman was going to be target one. Gunnar Romney was target two. They literally both got injured, and Milne went for 184 yards against a team that's got a lot of African-Americans who grew up in Texas and competed at a high level of high school football. And I'm running out of air. Right. Right. And those are the two fastest white guys ever to go through BYU in 30 years. They happen to be on this team. I don't know. I don't know how fast they are. They're good. They're big. They got good hands. They look like they have good speed. Who cares? Well, guys, guys. How fast Dax Milne is. He scored three touchdowns. There's two things we know. White guys can't jump and they can't run. Produced a professional receiver in 40 years. 
I mean, that's, I can say that. I'm white. <laughs> Maybe. You? Prove it. How I'm do we know? <laughs> you're on the radio. So, How do we know? Honest, if you get injuries, your backups, who are white guys, are definitely even slower. And BYU has had JV Division II recruits for about four years. Now they've got five NFL players on the team. So that's Talent what, level and, has increased. Utah's reloading on defense with some super fast kids who don't know right, they're black yet, but they'll be fast. Huh? <laughs> they're huh? black. Of course they're fast. No. All right, Rick. Well, yeah. Rick, <laughs> yeah, they are. Rick why don't you? Ten black guys are faster than white guys. Rick, if you could pack up your stereotypes, we got to talk to some other people. Well, no, they're stereotypes for a reason because they're true. I'm not. You know, that's yeah. obvious. How many white pack, cornerbacks you got in the NFL? Pack, pack that How many white too. cornerbacks? Zero. Cornerbacks. Zero. Um, All right. Rick the Dishwasher, ladies and gentlemen. Always good. I'm afraid to click on Twitter right now. Should I do it or not? Well, D- Dave, I mean, let's face it. The reason why BYU is popular because they got a lot, a lot of nice little uh, handsome white guys. Oh, you're going back to that podcast from yesterday. I see what you're doing there. <laughs> Thank you, Alice. The audience Williams. is like, "Holy cow, PK <laughs> just hit another level of." Uh, he's mocking no, to that's Sue Bird to uh, ESPN. Locks Idol, Sue Bird. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now you're just all over the map. I can't even explain this to the listeners who can't. No, follow. no, it's the Sue Bird thing on why. Women's basketball, basketball isn't as popular right. as soccer. Yes. And as I pointed out to you, it will, soccer's had two leagues fold, and WNBA is, what are we, 20 years in now? Don't Going freaking be 25? giving me logic. The oh. Seattle Storm just endorsed Biden and Harris, I want you to know. That's not surprising. It's not surprising? No. And Bobby Bowden, there's only one reason why he stayed alive, and you know what that reason is? What? So he can vote for Trump. Didn't you see that? Oh, I did not you see, didn't that. see that. You didn't see that? I didn't see that. Yeah, his statement is, I was left here on Earth so I can vote for Donald Trump. <laughs> oh, really? I did not see yes, that. Yes, you didn't see that? I was golfing yesterday. Got well, I think it came out today because he had... Uh, it came he, out yesterday he, afternoon. Okay, he had COVID and then yeah, and I recovered? Knew that. I knew he had COVID and it was really serious. But and man. he's 91, so he's clearly in a demographic that's... Worried about COVID. It's very concerning. Yeah, and then, yeah. So then he said that he was gonna he stayed alive so he could vote for Trump, and then Keith Olbermann took a big time shot at him. That's surprising. Not at all. <laughs> everybody, As the world turns. Everybody, man. play your role. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> you say this here, I'll say that <laughs> <Right>. there. <laughs> so the Southern football coach from Florida is pro Trump, and a broadcaster who's worked in L.A. and New York. And Bristol, Connecticut, for the last uh, 30 years, it took a shot at him. Well, I'm just shocked by this turn of... Turn and of Oberman up. thinks this Supreme Court nominee should be locked up! Locked up! He thinks a lot of people should be locked up. Locked up! Well, that puts him at a Trump rally screaming, lock him up! It comes full circle! And I always thought lock him up meant when a black DB just shut down a white receiver. That's a sports cliche. Oh. <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> that, that was awesome from Rick, though. Is it, when they get to their, their backups, literally, Milne would have been, at best, at best, the third favorite target when we were talking about this team last January. Oh, yeah, 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 until the Bushman injury, sure. Bushman Bushman one, Gunnar Romney two. Which was like in August, wasn't it? Maybe Dax three, yeah. 
Yeah, and Gunner went down in the game. I think he had a catch in the game before he got hurt, but he got hurt the in hammy? that game. Is it that, uh, yeah. He's got a what, hamstring issue is what I've been what told. Gunner had? Well, yeah, he's got two weeks to get healthy. He's not playing this week. He <laughs> didn't need to. I'm How serious is it? For, because hamstrings can be two, four, or six they, weeks. It's all over the map of those things. They're going to be cautious with it, but the goal is yes. They would like him to play against Boise the State. Boise State. Of course State they would. He's obviously. a really good player. Yeah. I, I would want him to play with, for Boise, too. I, I think that BYU has a very talented team this year, and... You know, speed is important, obviously. It's very, very important. But if you're not going to be as fast, then you put them at receiver. <laughs> because, you know, if I know where I'm going and you don't, uh, is speed as important? It's still very important. There's no question about that. But but that's why people find, talk about route, run, route running. Find, find yeah. ways to get open. And, uh, Pick so, plays. Sorry, yeah, rub plays. Whatever it Rubber might outs. be. Whatever Pick it plays. might be. But, you know, I would say, I think that's a little bit of misnomer. I haven't counted up the uh, uh, racial minorities on the football team to see do they have more than they had or whatever that might be. But I think Kalani has increased the uh, talent level. And, and who was it? Was it, uh, it was either Dylan Cauley or David Nixon talking about you know these are Kalani's recruits now I think it was Nixon said it but the most important thing that he said not just that they're Kalani recruits but they're Kalani recruits who are juniors and seniors but see that goes back to a lot and we were talking about this how a lot of college coaches you get to your second or third year and you expect to see progress, right? Year one, you're totally inheriting the team. Now, year three, you're getting your own guys in there, and most coaches are going to turn it around, have made big-time progress by year three. You can see it in the record. But at BYU, Kalani's in year five, but so many of the guys spent two years on a mission, so he's kind of at that year three point. I mean, I get it's year five, but compared to how most programs run, it's year three for him. So that we're now seeing guys that he recruited – and that have been developing under the strength and uh, conditioning coach that he hired, under the position coaches he hired, it's not surprising that this is how it's working. Well, as far as the offensive staff, basically this is the third year of the guys that he hired. Literally. And that's a fact. Whether you want to believe the Detmer situation or not, that's up to you. But that doesn't change fact. When I've got somebody in a high-ranking uh, at BYU, get right in my face. This is Kalani's hire at the Jeff Grimes press conference. And he says it to me like, all right, now I don't want to hear anything else. This is his hire. <laughs> uh, you you might have even been standing there. I don't remember. Uh, because he, I was standing he there. He was standing there. <laughs> I, was standing I, had, there. I happened to be about 10 yeah. feet away and saw I mean, I got a finger right in my on. face <laughs> that was said that. It's like, all right, I mean, I'm a stupid guy, but I know what you're telling me here. Right. And so this is their third yeah. year. And that's what's encouraging is we are seeing progression this very year. But see, and think, this is yeah. the time that we should see it because of those mission spiels and the fact that he didn't hire Detmer and whatnot, and now he's hired his guys and brought in A-Rod, who he worked uh, for many, many years, and we're seeing – I'd have to say a very good, if not a prolific offense, depending on how far you want to go with it. And 
will we see this going forward? Now, for their sakes, I hope yes. And I really think that that third year, you know, as you get your own guys, by the time you get to your fifth year, now you've got redshirt seniors, right? Uh, in most and that's schools. important. Right. And just let's just go to the team that BYU just beat, Houston. You know, and we know they've had a pretty good run, right? They've had a bunch of coaches who've gone there, won there, and, and used it as a springboard to another job. Art Bryles gets there, and he really had to build it up because it was a mess uh, before him. But his fifth year, they have a 10-win season. He leaves, someone comes in, someone's fourth year, they go 13-1. and one. And then Tony Levine came in and was there three years, but Herman's first year, the team he inherited, went 13-1. and one. But Herman's in and out in two years. Applewhite's in and out in two years. Holgerson's in his second year. And the win totals have gone from 13 to 9 to 7 to 8 to 4. And that's, that's too much of that turnover we always talk about. Coaches coming and going. And Houston's not firing all these coaches. These coaches, for the most part, are, are getting good jobs and leaving. But still, it's a lack of consistency, and it ends up biting you. Coaches need time to install their guys, their system, and get that consistency. And if they don't get it, even a program like Houston that's had a lot of success, it ends up hurting. And that's why when you say hire somebody who is your guy because you got a better chance of keeping him for a longer period of time the way the U.S. kept Kyle, if Kyle didn't have any ties here, with the success he had after the Sugar Bowl season, he could have easily been gone. Easily. And that would have been right. year four. And you would have been hitting the reset button. Yeah, and I think one of the greatest things that Chris Hill did was actually something he didn't do, and that was fire Kyle after two five and sevens. And look at the success that's come since then. Big time. Had a good three year run with mm-hmm. uh, nine and ten win seasons, then had a seven and six, and now have come back with a couple more good years to follow it up. Yep, very much so. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, BJ Reigns, Boise State beat writer for the Idaho Press Tribune. You love to hate him. But it's really critical here. Their first three games, they're opening up with Utah State this week. After they play Air Force, they're playing BYU at home as well. Both the Aggies and the Cougars have to go there. We'll talk with BJ Reigns next. Stay with us. Nothing else matters, fellas. Every day we go to work. Football is back, and the Zone Sports Network has you covered. As the Cougars continue to bulldoze through their schedule, and the Utes and Aggies get set for the start of their season. You gotta go faster, faster. Nobody will bring you better coverage of your team than the Zone Sports Network. This is your home of the best college football coverage in Utah. Turn me up all day. 975-1280 the zone in the Zone Sports Network. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined now once again by B.J. Reigns, Boise State beat writer for the Idaho Press Tribune. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Good morning. How you doing? I'm a T-Mobile customer, so I can keep it going there. That's there you go. Doing good. <laughs> How's it going, guys? Good. BJ Rain's joining us, and you told us to have you back on when the games got closer. So, you know, we took it your word, and we called you again. What the heck? No, nope, no problem. Happy to be on with you guys. Happy. Uh, we, we'd have been desperate over the summer to 
or in August to be talking about a game on Saturday. So I'll talk about it as much as we want now that it's here. Yeah, so uh, for the people who aren't following the schedule real close, the Broncos are opening with Utah State. they got to play Air Force, and then they get BYU. So two out of the first three are against teams that uh, you know the fan bases are listening to this show and want the lowdown. So has Boise State made any progress since the last time we were talking to you. Are there questions you had then that have been answered now, or you're not getting to go to practice and talk to the people much? It's a COVID year, and you got the same questions. Well, I mean, we have names to put at positions in terms of a depth chart, but I think the questions are the same. Are they going to be any good uh, when it comes to offensive line, defensive line? You know, they had have to replace four new starters uh, along the defensive line, uh, four or five starters along the offensive line. And, you know, those are obviously big question marks. A lot of people, you know, the old adage just starts up front. They've got a lot of newcomers on both sides of the ball. So we at least know on the depth chart who those starters are going to be. But what that means in terms of how the group looks, I think there's still a lot of question marks going into Saturday's game. But, um, not, you know, we haven't gotten to watch any practice. You know, Boise State's kind of uh, a little bit tighter with the media than a lot of schools anyway. So I think they are, you know, perfectly happy uh, not allowing the media to watch practice at all this, this fall because of COVID. And so, we really have a lot of unknowns as to what they're going to look like, and, and we'll see how close the depth chart actually is. But, uh, no, I, I think they, you know, that the offensive line and defensive lines are the big storylines with this team, and looking forward Saturday to see how that group uh, and a lot of young guys step up in their first games. All right, so that offensive line obviously is potentially a huge question mark when you lose that many guys and big-time guys too. But I'm wondering, though, when you look at it and take a deeper dive – I don't know if these guys are going to start, but I assume they are because you've got redshirt seniors in, uh, what, Stets, who's got had four starts, Harrington, three starts a couple years ago. Then you got some redshirt sophomores. And I, I think if you add them up, of the, uh, not the returner, how do you say his name, Ojuku, who's got like... Uh, John Ojuku, yeah. Yeah, he's got 18 starts, so he's really, you know, he's the mainstay. But the other guys, I think if you add up those other guys, I think they combine for something like 10 starts. So it's not like they're starting entirely brand new, right? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, they filled in a couple games last year, but a lot of those guys were filling in at different positions than they're at now. And um, they do have a Rice transfer. They got a grad transfer from Rice who's like 6'8", 3'10", or something. He's slated, I think, at right tackle to step in as the starter. So, um, they feel pretty good about the tackle positions. Um, uh, it's just going to be interesting because, yeah, I mean, not only did they lose four starters, but they lost two that went to the NFL, a third-round draft pick uh, that's uh, just made his first start as a rookie at left tackle, Ezra Cleveland, for the Minnesota Vikings last Sunday. And then uh, the left guard, John Molchon, is in uh, practice squad with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So they lost two guys on the left side of their line that were are now in NFL, uh, you know, teams. So, you know, it's there's, you know, not, and the other two starters were, were multi-year starters as well. So you're not just losing four starters. You're losing four multi-year, you know, quality all-Mountain West caliber players. So, um, But, you know, this happened three years ago. They lost four. And then look at what those four, the, the four that took over ended up being. So Boise State recruits pretty well. They're trusting their recruiting. They're trusting that these, you know, redshirt sophomores and guys that are younger are ready for their time and, and that they're going to be the next wave in a couple of years that we're talking about being hard to replace. So, um, you know, they, they, they feel pretty good about the group. It's just a, a group that doesn't have a ton of experience. And even the one returner, John Ojuku, is switching from right tackle to left tackle, so they don't have anybody in the same spot as last year. So, um, yeah, I mean, they feel pretty good about it. But, again, you know, that's, 
fine to stay on a Zoom call with some reporters, but let's see what it looks like on Saturday. So I, I think that um, they've got a little bit of experience, but certainly not what they had last year. And I, I think we'll find out about their recruiting and their development and stuff like that pretty early in this one. So in the three or four games that they win big a year ago where they're winning by three, four, five touchdowns, do these guys get to play or are these guys coming in literally with like six snaps under their belt? No, they played some. I don't know the exact snap counts, but a lot of these, like a Jake Stetz played in all 14 games last year, and um, a lot of these guys that they put on like the field goal team and the punt team and some of that stuff. So um, these guys get some snaps, and they, they did, you know, the, the Utah State game last year, they probably got some playing time, actually, because I think that was, what, 56-21 or something. Um, so I would assume in the, some of those games, yeah, they, they got they got some action, and so they, they certainly, they're you know, like the previous question, it's not like they've never gone out on the field before, but uh, you certainly miss something when you're talking about a guy that started two or three games as a guy that started, you know, 40. So, I mean, it's uh, it'll be interesting. I think that's a huge question mark because they have a 1,000-yard rusher returning and they have a quarterback uh, returning that got injured twice last year from taking big hits. So they've got to find a way to keep him healthy this year, and that's a big storyline, and you've got to have a strong offensive line to, to be able to do that. So Bachmeyer went 7-1 and one as a starter, as a freshman, and that's pretty doggone good, even with the injuries. Uh, Sears decides to transfer from SC. He played a game a couple years ago. I think he played one game for SC. Looked pretty decent in that game. Uh, is he pushing him at all, or is Bachmeyer the guy all the way? Bachmeyer is the starter, but it sounds like they want to get Jack Sears involved in the game plan. So they, they've uh, routinely kind of mixed in a second quarterback. Even with Brad Rippon, they were mixing in uh, another quarterback for a series here and there for some kind of uh, run, read option stuff. So they, for whatever reason, they like the last couple of years playing multiple quarterbacks. They think it's harder for the uh, other team to prepare for in, pra- in, in practice and things like that. So it sounds like Jack Sears will be in the game plan. Um, the difference is that he's you know similar to Hank Bachmeyer. He's a pocket passer. He's not some guy that's going to come in and run all over you. So um, usually they like that secondary option to be a guy that can run a little more and, and make it a little more challenging. But um, they they you know you're, if you're a grad transfer and you have two years of eligibility, you're, you know, and you're visiting places like NC State and some other high quality places, you're not coming to Boise State to, to ride the pine. So it was a little surprising when uh, he committed to Boise State because they had Hank Bachmeyer here, but. Uh, He's clearly the number two, but uh, he's going to get some action. He's taken first team, some first-team reps in practice, and I think at some point, given what we saw with, with uh, the injury history last year and a small sample size, I don't think it's crazy to expect Jay, you know, Jack Sears to have to start a game at some point this year. So they feel really good about him. Um, you know, He started a Pac-12 game, a scholarship player. He was the number four-ranked pro-style quarterback in the country in like the 2017 class or whatever it was. So they feel really good about him. He's got some talent, but... They also think they have a special quarterback in Bachmeyer, and so I think Bachmeyer starts, but I would expect a player two here and there. You'll see Sears wrinkled in there on Saturday. So you say Boise State just sent all these guys to the NFL. Is there another group of NFL prospects that uh, people are eyeing and thinking, okay, this guy's the next big thing, and, and so is this guy? Yeah, they got a couple on offense in particular. The tight end, John Bates, he's six seven two fifty. 250. Um, you know, he kind of has fallen victim to a lot of the – recent wide receivers they've had you know last year they had a fifth round draft pick at wide receiver too and john hightower uh who had a huge game i believe against utah state last year um you know so you know he just you know you look at the numbers you say okay 22 catches last year for like 270 yards and you know, it's, he, they don't jump off the page but he's six seven two fifty. he's very athletic um he can do a lot of things and, and they really think there's a chance that he could be not only drafted but be drafted fairly high 
uh, if he were to have a strong senior year this year. So I think John Bates at tight end number 85, um, you know, like I say, he doesn't wow you in terms of like crazy production, but he's a solid player. He's a good, and he'll, you know, they want to get him more involved in the passing game this year. And then at wide receiver, number two, Khalil Shakir, uh, he was a four-star player, chose Boise State over like UCLA and some other Pac-12 schools and uh, came in as a true freshman two years ago and played some. Uh, and then last year really kind of took a, he emerged as a solid player. And they think now with Hightower gone, you know, Shakir here is a true junior uh, is going to, you know, clearly be the kind of weapon on offense. Uh, he can run the ball and he can do some things in the, in terms of uh, wildcat formation. And then he's a dynamic wide receiver as well. So I think on offense, number two, Khalil Shakir is a guy that if he has a strong season, he also could, uh, you know, he could contemplate an early entry to the NFL draft after this season. So I think those two guys, and then you mentioned John Ojuku, the left tackle, you know, the last seven Boise state last had six or seven. I forget now. I think Ezra Cleveland was the seventh left tackles at Boise State that have started for multiple years got drafted into the NFL and uh, he's a junior so if he were to start two years um, you know he could become the eighth straight left tackle at Boise State to go into the NFL and I think they feel pretty good about that as well. Defensively you talked about how they're going to be uh, inexperienced up front losing all those guys but at the back end with the five guys they've got listed it seems like they got a lot of experience there. Yeah, and a lot of experience at linebacker, too. They added an NC State transfer, Brock Miller, who started, I think, 11 games at NC State last year. Um, and he's not even listed as a starter on the depth chart. That's how strong they are at linebacker right now. So they got four or five guys that are going to rotate in there. They feel really good that linebacking core has a chance to be probably the strength of the team. And in the secondary, they did lose you know, two safeties to Pac-12 schools as grad transfers. DeAndre Pierce went to play for his dad, who's a coach at Arizona State for his last year, and then Jordan Happel kind of surprised people like two days before training camp started and announced a uh, transfer back home to where he's from near the Portland area to Oregon. So they lost you know, a pair of safeties to Pac-12 schools and lost a returning starter in, in Keikoa Nalahine, who uh, you know was the leading tackler the last couple of years when he added it all up. And so they, they lost some pretty good depth at safety, but they feel the two guys they have, J.L. Skinner, a true sophomore, he's like 6'4", they really love his physicality, and Tyreek Jones is a is a 6'2 athletic kid as well. They feel like they have some size in the back end, some talent there, and you mix that in with two, you know, returning uh, starting corners, two All Mountain West corners. Um, you know, Jalen Walker was second team All Mountain West last year. Avery Williams, uh, you know, a preseason Mountain West player, you know, multiple years, and is also the special teams player of the year in the Mountain West. You know, he's very athletic. Was the only player in the in the country that had you know multiple touchdown returns and multiple you know, blocked kicks. Uh, he blocked two kicks and also had two punt returns for touchdowns. So he's a dynamic player, and he's a guy they count on a corner as well. So they feel pretty good about the back seven. It's just getting that front four to step up, I think, is going to be the question in terms of how dominant this defense can be. How much do Boise State fans enjoy uh, dominating the teams from Utah? What is the overall number now? I know it's crazy. I know they add it up every year. It's because it's, uh, it, I think even against Utah, they're like two and zero or something. I forget the exact number, and I apologize. But uh, they're, they're four and zero against Utah. Okay, and so what's yeah. the combined number with the three? Uh, it's four and zero against Utah, and it is seven and three against BYU. I think. And, okay. and Utah I think, like, State's got one win. Of the last 17 or something. Yeah, like 16 of the last 17 against Utah State or something. Yeah. I think I looked that up. They were 16-1 and one or something in the last 17 against Utah State. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I don't, I don't think there's anything to it. or I don't, you, know, I don't know, you know, Boise State doesn't really recruit Utah that much. They have a couple guys 
um, you know, that, that are from the area. And, and, but really, that's not a huge recruiting hotbed for them. So I don't know what it is. It's not like guys are trying to go stick it to their other schools. Um, they've lost players to some of those schools. Actually, you know, the, with Zach Wilson was a Boise State commit before he went to BYU. So um, I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, the BYU one, there's a ton of BYU fans in Boise. Um, there's this, the, the Mormon population is very large in the Boise area. And so I know that's always a huge game in terms of the, you know, rivalry with fans and things like that in here. But I, I think it's just kind of a weird thing where all three of those schools, Boise State's happened to have success with for the most part. I don't think it's a, any, any, you know, thing that goes between that combines the three. It's just kind of a, a weird thing, but they have had a lot of success and that is a big deal they talk about up here. Yeah, interestingly, one of the Utah guys is uh, Kyle Whittingham's sister's son, so his nephew, Jackson Cravens, who's listed mm-hmm. uh, as a backup uh, up front. He's a defensive lineman. So they, They're expecting uh, so, big things from him, actually. Yeah, he, he transferred in from Utah and redshirted last year, and he's not listed as a starter, but he is a guy they expect to be heavily involved in the rotation. I've heard good things about Jackson's. What's the deal as far as fans being allowed in the stadium? No fans, no band, no cheerleaders. They're not even letting Buster Bronco, the mascot, in there. Uh, oh. It's uh, nobody. I mean, I, I think it's like the first time in 40 years or something they're not even going to let the mascot in there. And he's wearing a mask. He has a helmet. He has a mask on. I don't know why you can't at least come in there. But I guess if there's no fans, there's no reason for the mascot to be there. But, yeah, they're, they're not even letting players' parents come in and watch the games. It's kind of been a big deal up here. It's, uh, people are not happy. They started a petition, the players' parents did, to try to at least get the players' parents, the coaches, you know, wives can't even come in and watch the game. Um, it, it's literally going to be empty. And so they're going to have pumped crowd noise in there. Um, you know, during gameplay, the limit is 70 decibels. So they, they count that as from when the center touches the ball to when the play is over. The Mountain West says you cannot go higher than 70 decibels. But between, between that, you know, and when they're in the huddle and things like that, you can jack it up as loud as you want. So Boise State's been messing with some different <laughs> levels and some different sound and music and things like that and crowd noises and cheers and stuff. So I'll be very curious. They're going to, they're, Claiming they're going to try to do the best they can. They've got some cardboard cutouts that people bought, you know, and things like that in the stands. But, you know, they're they're going to try to make an empty stadium have an atmosphere of where there's usually 36,000 people. And I don't know how that's going to go. But, I mean, I'll tell you this. I was researching for a story, guys, uh, this week. uh, You know, Boise State, the opponents have false started more inside Albertson Stadium during the 2018 and 2019 season than any opposing team in the country. I mean, they opponents average – more than uh, 3,000, or three, excuse me, 3.43, 3.43 false starts per game inside Albertson Stadium, and that's the highest number in the country. So uh, you're talking about literally a home field advantage that causes more false starts than anywhere else in the country, and you're not going to have that crowd behind you. So I think for if there was ever a year for Utah State and BYU and these teams to come into the blue and feel better about themselves, it's definitely this year where there's not going to be any fans because that is a huge difference that's not going to help Boise State. Hasn't Boise State lost like six home games in 15 or 17 years or some crazy number like that? Yeah, they're uh, 120 and 9 going back to 2000, I believe. That's a lot of winning. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and even like last year, I looked at the stats, like Boise State gave up 13 touchdowns at home and 26 on the road. Like the stats are just so crazy. I mean, it's like a touch. 15 points a game at home as opposed to like 28 on the road last year. Um, I mean, like I said, in the false starts, or, you know, no, nobody gets penalized more for false starts. And it's, it, it is a legitimate, you know, Rocky Long tried to downplay it and became an enemy here in town by saying there's no mystique to playing on the blue turf and all that stuff. I mean, it is a, it is a legitimate home 
field advantage with the way the stadium's built and, and the majority of the seats are in the upper deck. So they're, and they're kind of on top of you coming down onto the field. So the way the noise is there, it just gets really, really loud in there. And, and, um, it, it is a legitimate, you know, I've been to a lot of stadiums and it's legitimate home field advantage. And, and, um, that's a big storyline that they're not going to have. They, they play much better at home. They have a big advantage and it's, it's largely negated. So, I mean, yeah, it's no one, you know, nine losses in the last 20 years or whatever at home. They were undefeated at home last year. Um, they just don't lose very often at home. And when they do, it's by, you know, a point or two. They don't. And so I think that's a big deal. And I think for Utah State and BYU, they, they got lucky, so to speak, that the, the calendar turned for them to play the games here in Boise this year where there's not going to be any fans. Well, Rocky has two of those nine, so I guess he's the one who gets to say that. And it's such, it's such a Rocky. We were interviewing him when he was in New Mexico. It's such a Rocky thing to say. Yeah, yeah. It was a couple of years ago, Mountain West Media Days, and you know how us writers try to get any clickbait stuff we can get. So we, I, think, I think after he said that one year, we asked him about it like four years in a row to try to drum it back up. And, um, and, and uh, yeah, that, that's uh, – he's, he's not uh, – you know, won't be winning the governor's race or anything here in Boise anytime soon. B.J. Reigns, he's a beat writer for the Idaho Press-Tribune covering Boise State. Thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. No problem, guys. Should be fun on Saturday. Take care. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your feedback is coming up next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it is time for your feedback. All the stuff you have to say about today's show. You Chasta trailer, just listened to that interview about Boise State and said 70 decibels. I've seen the North End Zone peg 107 multiple times, and that was without the nudity. LOL. <laughs> okay. An infamous moment. That was the TCU <laughs> game, right? I believe you're correct. Yeah. yeah. At least it was a sunny day. Okay, good job. BYU's current mindset, no matter what the reality is, they don't want to hear it, Como 40 says, and he posts a gif. There's a guy who might look familiar to you in a blue shirt who says, how much you want to bet I could throw a football over them mountains? <laughs> so they don't want to, what, the, what exactly do they not want to hear? Uh, basically that this team could accomplish anything. That's what he's saying. And he doesn't want to hear that, or they don't want to hear the argument against that. BYU's current mindset, no matter what the reality is, they don't want to hear it. They think they could throw the ball the ball over the mountains. They think they could go undefeated with the original schedule. Oh well, why wouldn't you want them to think that? Because Como Forty is a Ute or an Aggie fan. Let me click and see. uh, Oh, it's Ute. There's Swoop. Yeah, he's a Ute. Oh, I could. Oh, she. She is a Ute. I take that back. She is a Ute. Como 40 is a... Let's see if you post her name in there anywhere. Doesn't look like it. Arizona we'll girl at heart. We'll call her Martha. Okay, okay, Martha. What would BYU's record be at this original... Uh, be at this point with its original schedule? They would be seven games in. They would have just played Houston. They'd be getting ready for Northern Illinois. we got a bunch of people saying three and four at best. At best. Wow. At best. Dismissive. I bet you those people who say at best aren't figuring a win over Utah. No, they aren't. Absolutely <laughs> not. No, they were thinking 10 in a row. And uh, Steven says, great interview with Rick the Dishwasher. Thought it would be helpful if I included a pic of good old Rick screaming, go Utes. And he's got a guy. It looks like there's a bunch of Confederate flags. And uh, there's a guy maybe... Uh, Looks like a white hood in the background. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, yeah, right. Ooh, I don't want to hear about white hoods. Yeah, I know. Well, there it is. You can check out that's, my that's check out the responses on Twitter and judge for yourself. 
Could you imagine people actually doing that, dressing up in a white hood? Uh, we don't have to imagine it. People actually do it. I, I know, I know, but could you imagine yourself doing no. that? Is what I mean. Absolutely I mean, not. I, mean, I misstated that. Absolutely not. Yeah. Could you, Nor can I really imagine anyone I know doing it. And I know the whole point of that is you hide the identity, so it is people you know. But no, I can't really. Not only can I not imagine doing it. I, I mean, I look around at you know people I work with or that I know. I live near you know whatever. You know, our kids went to school together. And I, I can't imagine anyone doing that. But obviously somebody's doing it because it's still going on. So they still wear the hoods and all that stuff? There are times, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. You you, you get a shiver right there, don't you? (laughs) That's rough. (laughs) Uh, Draper Ute replying says, Quest perfected. Second Heisman Trophy winner. Second national championship. Coach of the year. Even Brian Gumble declares no Bidley, no Bo Diddley's on that schedule this year. This might be the greatest college football team ever. Okay, that's somewhat extreme. Twelve and zero taken out. It would be Utah and ASU and Minnesota, Michigan State and Missouri, and then Stanford at the end of the year and well, Boise State and. Uh, you see, must include the playoff. Yeah, right. Fourteen and zero, baby. Out of the way, Clemson. <laughs> At this point, you know, and I haven't seen the powers in the whether there's a power in the Pac-12 remains to be seen, but we assume Ohio State's going to be a power until we see otherwise. We haven't seen them play, but at this point, to me, if it's not Alabama, Clemson seems really surprising. With only Ohio State being able to to wreck that duo, because they well, I don't want to I don't want to give up on the Pac-12 yet, and that's probably some of my homerism there. Uh, so I don't I don't want to I want to allow them the opportunity to not make it. All right, Dwight is uh, use the uh, app, use the open mic feature. You can send us 15 seconds of audio. What's Dwight got? I would bet my life that if you put every Utah fan on a lie detector test, that 90 percent of them are happy, happy, happy. They do not have to face BYU and Wilson. Well, DJ, as you know, the great thing about that is 90% of Utah fans have taken a lie detector test. (laughs) And on that note, we're out of here. Hands and Scotty are coming up next. Stay with us.